listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, I'm Ricardo Gonsalves from the SBS Newsroom with SBS On The Money for this Monday, the 7th of December 2020. It is your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap. Later, George Baburis from K2 Asset Management looks into his crystal ball for 2021. But first, a warning that some summer fruits and vegetables may increase in price by as much as 25%. The Government's Department of Agriculture, Water and the Environment has released its agribusiness commodities report for the December quarter. And for more on that, I spoke with its chief commodities analyst, Jared Greenville, for more. Jared, production is forecast to rise in agri-markets, but the value of exports will fall. Can you explain why and the difference between the two? Yeah, so we're forecasting agricultural production value to go up to about $65 billion, which is a 7% increase. But at the same time, we're expecting export values to fall. The main reason for that is one of the big drivers that we're seeing for our production value growth is a a big winter crop big and and expectation around summer. Um, And a lot of that, well, not a lot of that, but a significant amount of that will end up back in stocks. Um, Over the last three years, we've had some pretty poor conditions and we've run down some of those stocks that we normally have. So we're, we're going to build up our stockpiles of wheat and other crops. The other thing that's going on, those same really good seasonal conditions that we're seeing are going to lead to producers to rebuild stocks, particularly, you know, like their herds, their their flocks, their sheep and cattle. Um, And that's bringing back, you know, some of the large amounts of production of meat that we've been exporting over time. To what extent those trade tensions we're seeing with China, how have they impacted exports and what's the immediate future looking like? Yeah, so there's a couple of impacts that they're having on our exports. So in the grand scheme of things, we've done pretty well and we still to do, do pretty well out of our trading relationship with China and we, we sell a lot of product there. Um, but the trade tensions that have started really with barley in particular and they imposed some tariffs and anti-dumping and counterbalancing duties on, on those products will really mean that we're not going to sell much if, if any barley into China and that barley is going to go somewhere else. Um, and we're expecting that's going to mean that our producers will take about a 20% price discount and find in other markets um, as barley goes into other markets and China buys barley from some of the other producers. The other area where we're seeing some trade tensions and some trade action um, has been in wine and we're expecting that recent decision um, that's going to impact bottled wine into China, which is the, the high-value wine that we sell, um, would largely limit the trade, limit our ability to export and be competitive in the market. And speaking of China, just how concentrated are Australia's agri-exports? So in other words, you know, how reliant are we on China? Yeah, so our export has shifted across to China in you know, over, I guess, the last 10 years or so. And so at the moment, about 28%, close to 30% of our of total agricultural exports go to China. Um, and that's grown over time. Um, it varies, though, by commodities. So some, some products... Our exposure to China isn't very, very large, but there are some where China is by definitely our, our main market and we have few alternatives. And things like wool in particular, um, they, most of the manufacturing and the, the textile industry that deals with wool located in China. We sell a lot of our skins and hides um, into China. They end up as car seats and, and other leather goods. Um, and there's some other products like cotton, which are quite important for us, but 
we know that there's other markets for, for cotton outside of China. What I find interesting in the report is are these predictions of a rise in fruit and vegetable prices. So can you expand on that? So by how much, which fruit and vegetables and why? Yeah, so we're forecasting uh, a potential price rise for some fruits and vegetables of between 15 and 25%. But that's not about all fruits and vegetables. It's largely those ones which will be harvested over summer. Um, and so we've got things like our summer fruits, our stone fruits, um, some of our like apples and pears, some vegetables, and also some berries, strawberries and the like. Um, the main reason for that is, is that the, the horticultural sector uses a lot of overseas workers. Um, and with COVID, there's a lot fewer around. And, and so in particular, there's a peak harvest time that kicks off in about February and runs to April. And we, we would normally see the, an increase in about 20,000 extra workers, particularly those on working holiday makers, um, visas, um, come into the sector and, and pick the fruits and vegetables. And we know that there's less than 50% of the normal amount of uh, holiday makers in the country at the moment. So this could really bite some of those producers, um, and particularly those which need labour later in the season, with the expectation that the people who need labour earlier will have a better chance to attract it and to hold on to it. That is Jared Greenville there from ABARES. Let's now uh, take a look at the Australian share market, which had a good start to the working week. The S&P ASX 200 uh, up by 0.62% 0 to 6,675. Uh, we saw some strong Chinese export numbers today, along with uh, another surge in the iron ore price. So that helped the likes of Fortescue Metals up by 3.8%. Uh, Afterpay also doing well, 2.2% stronger and met cash up 10% following some strong first half sales numbers. For more on the day's action, I spoke earlier with George Baburis from K2 Asset Management. George, the market's stronger this Monday, why? Uh, a, a number of reasons, uh, following the reflation trade of the vaccine that everyone's been talking about last month, uh, and obviously the expectation of additional fiscal policy and additional monetary policy into 21. There's a number of things that are just, uh, it's, it's the perfect storm of, 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 of risk on sort of trades. And that means good for equity markets uh, in the longer term. Again, it's that backdrop of stimulus that's continuing to come through and, and into 2021. What do you make about this increase in iron ore prices quite dramatically? And how is that flowing through to the market? Yeah, it, it is. It is dramatic. So, 145 US dollar a ton for iron ore, Australia. That's our largest export, and obviously, it's good for the Aussie dollar as well. It's a combination. Uh, G20 coming back online when you're looking at the reflation trade again uh, as vaccines are rolled out in the G20. Uh, the Chinese economy number two. Obviously, they, they're expanding that economy with targeted fiscal stimulus within China. They need much more iron ore. So, the globe needs iron ore. China needs iron ore. And that's a good combination for Australia. And we do need those revenues and tax receipts for Canberra, obviously, uh, to pay for our recovery uh, into 21. And we're seeing that reflected in the share prices of the likes of Fortescue because it's now reached a bit of a milestone, hasn't it? Yeah, without a doubt. So Fortescue is the leverage play within the iron ore price, obviously re-owned BHP. So they are the beneficiaries of it. And again, that, that's, that's good tax receipts for, for Canberra as well. So the benefits right across the economy that's required. So uh, again, that strong demand for iron ore. And remember, versus uh, the budget papers, uh, you know, they're looking at the $75 iron ore price and a lot of other people are looking at lower iron ore prices within the system uh, for their future earnings. So this, this again, these, these mean upgrades to earnings of Fortescue, BHP and Rio, and also upgrades to tax receipts for Canberra. If we look at December, shares are up so far 2% after an excellent 10% run in November. 
that traditional Santa rally that we see around about this time every year. Do you reckon we'll see it? Yeah, we may see it. It should fatigue given the historic gains that we saw in the November month. Uh, they, and, and this fiscal year, markets are up extraordinarily, uh, uh, extraordinary strength since uh, this current fiscal year. But the Santa rally may continue on the following premise that uh, there's fiscal stimulus discussions leading into uh, the US after the inauguration of the 20 January. And you talk about additional targeted fiscal stimulus in North America, that is very good for the Santa rally. Uh, and, uh, and, and again, any talk of more iron ore prices is obviously very good for that Santa rally. It is a bit fatigued, this rally, uh, but there's, there's, there's a lot of stimulus in the system that is being reflected in the, in the current valuations. And if you look into your 2021 crystal ball, right, how do you think the market will trade? Uh, the market will trade, uh, again, that risk on thematic. So again, historic fiscal stimulus, central banks around the world have, have targeted uh, governments to increase fiscal stimulus. This is a change after many, many decades of no fiscal stimulus uh, as the core automatic stabiliser. This is now the core policy prescription. Fiscal stimulus, the central banks want it. They'll expand their balance sheet with QE and buy some of that debt. And again, that vaccine reflation trade as economies come online. It is it is the perfect storm for, for economies to come back online, earnings to expand. Uh, however, there's going to be a mispricing of assets for, across the globe. But this is a good recovery profile for calendar 21. George Babur is there from K2 Asset Management. Very quickly also, Standard & Poor's global ratings have downgraded uh, the credit ratings of both uh, New South Wales and Victoria. So they've both lost their coveted AAA credit ratings. So for more on that, very briefly, I spoke with S&P Global Ratings Director Anthony Walker. Anthony, first of all, why the downgrade on both Victoria and New South Wales? Yeah, we've downgraded both ratings today, um, as we've seen a big fiscal shock from COVID. COVID costs are the key thing behind both these ratings. Obviously, the magnitude has been much greater in Victoria than New South Wales. And because of that, we're seeing our ratings differential now with Victoria being downgraded two notches, New South Wales just one. What's the outlook for both states? Now, the ratings outlook is stable for both states. We're expecting a large fiscal shock to, to occur over the next few years. But we do believe that under these new current ratings, there is enough fiscal headroom for both states to address this. And both states remain very highly rated in a global context. I guess when we see two of the big states downgraded, the next question is, what does it likely mean for the Commonwealth? Yeah, both downgrades today don't have a direct impact on the Commonwealth Government. When we updated the Commonwealth Government back in April and revised the outlook to negative, we were expecting large fiscal deficits. We have increased those deficits in October, um, but nevertheless, we were expecting a, a large fiscal shock at the sovereign, including the state's level, um, sorry, state ratings, and we do expect those to narrow in the next few years. And just finally, lower ratings, so back down to AA or AA+. What does it exactly mean? What does it mean for those state governments and what does it mean for the average person? Uh, for the average person, not a lot. So our ratings are designed for investors. Uh, and investors will use these to help price credit risk. So a lower rating means that the credit risk is up a little bit higher than it was in the past. But again, these are very highly rated uh, states, even though they've been downgraded. So in reality, it means that interest rates may be a little bit higher for both states. But at the same time, the Reserve Bank has done unconventional monetary policy and other factors are keeping interest rates at record low levels at the moment. Anthony Walker there from S&P Global Ratings. That is SBS on the Money for this Monday, the 7th of December 2020. I'm Ricardo Gonsalves. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Business Ricardo.
This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.